Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We gather on this Easter day to celebrate the resurrection. To hear words spoken about your son and the work he's done. And to think about how those words impact our lives. We ask that you would speak to us today and that we'd hear and respond and be transformed more into the image of your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A common question that pastors like to talk about is if which they prefer performing more. If they prefer to do a wedding or a funeral. And believe it or not, yes, pastors do talk about this quite a bit. Specifically, whenever I find out that someone I know, maybe they're a youth pastor, so they don't have as many opportunities, and they've maybe done a wedding but never done a funeral, and they're uncertain about what it would be like to do one. But the conversation is always, well, which one do you prefer? And what's interesting is a lot of pastors, at least the ones I've talked to, many prefer, if they had to pick one, they prefer funerals. And that's not because the circumstances of a wedding, or it's not because of the circumstances of the funeral. The circumstances of a wedding are much better. It's a celebration. It's something to be happy about. But if you're thinking about which one would you choose because of the opportunity to do ministry, then that's where a lot of pastors uh, find funerals something that... uh, I wouldn't say they like to do, but they see as a really, really important part of their job. And this is something that I've come to feel too. And the reason why is because for funerals, so much of the situation involved is an opportunity to minister with people, to hear, and to answer questions they might have. And this is because... Funerals force us to remember our own looming death. They remind us that we can't take anything with us. They remind us and urge us to reconsider the type of life we've been living. As we think about the person who's passed away and and we hear about the life they've lived. And we think about our interactions with those people We can't help but think about our own life. So all these conversations are what gives pastors this important position to provide clarity in those situations. And that's why funerals are what many pastors prefer. Because it's an opportunity to talk about the message of the gospel. The most important message that we come to proclaim And that message, when you go to a funeral service, what's proclaimed is that death isn't the end. Death isn't the final word. There is hope, even in the midst of the emotions of the lost loved one. Death isn't the end of the story because Jesus offers life and resurrection to his followers. And that's what a funeral service proclaims. But the funeral's hope only comes from what we get to celebrate today. What we celebrate on Easter. 
We celebrate that death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. Death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. So how is this? That's what we get to look at today. If you want to take out your Bibles, look at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. We'll be looking at that. Mark 16, 1 through 8. If you want to use the Pew Bible, that is page... 1454. Also, if you have a Bible you want to follow along with, and it will be on the screen. But let's take a look at this story. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So if you were here uh, last week, we read the story of the Passion narrative, and we ended right here before chapter 16. At the end of 16, Mary Magdalene and the mother of Joseph, Mary the mother of Joseph, see Jesus' body put in the tomb. And now, uh, and that was on a Friday, and it was almost evening. So Friday at sundown begins the Sabbath. So for Jewish people, you have to be back home, because the Sabbath is a day you don't work. So they get Jesus' body in the tomb before the Sabbath. That would have been work. But they can't completely prepare his body for burial, because Sabbath comes. So these ladies are now going the first day of the week. So Sabbath starts Friday evening, ends sundown Saturday. They're not going to go in the dark. So first thing Sunday morning, the first day of the week, it's sun up. The ladies are going back with spices to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. And notice, they're wondering, how are we going to open the tomb? They're expecting to find it closed. Now continue in verse 5. This is what happens. They find the tomb open. And as they entered the tomb, they saw the young man dressed in white robe, in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he was going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to one another because they were afraid. So they go to the tomb, and they see it's opened. And they find that Jesus' body isn't there because he's risen the dead. So with this point, we need to acknowledge that this is unbelievable. Now in our day and age, it's popular for even certain Christian traditions to talk about how the resurrection couldn't have happened because it's impossible. And the ancient people didn't know what we know about science, so they didn't know that it was impossible for resurrection to happen. And that's just not the case. These women knew that people who were dead didn't come back to life. 
And they knew where Jesus was buried. They'd been to the grave. And look, they're even startled and afraid when they meet this man in the tomb. Jesus did raise from the dead that day. Uh, Some things that people say uh, and the answers we can give to them about the resurrection. A lot of people will say um, that the story was fabricated by the early Christians. Now this doesn't make sense because the story alone would be different. If you're making up a story about Jesus' body being found empty or not there in the tomb and found empty, you don't write that story if you're making it up with women finding the tomb empty. Because women in the first century weren't legal witnesses. They didn't have any sort of authority in the community to provide testimony. So if you wanted your account to have purpose and authority, you wouldn't have women find Jesus. So this alone is a reason to think that Jesus, this, this story is authentic. Also, the women didn't expect to find the tomb empty. They thought they'd find Jesus in there, in his body, dead. And what's interesting is that the text even says that, look, Jesus isn't here because he's going to meet you in Jerusalem like he told you. But none of the disciples expected that. They were so surprised when they heard that Jesus resurrected from the dead. If you're making up this story, you don't make yourselves look like fools. And that's exactly how the disciples look. Jesus is like, wait, I told you I was going to raise from the dead. And you didn't remember? You didn't believe it? You weren't waiting? The women also are terrified at the sight. They weren't expecting to find it empty. And then uh, the last thing is from the book of Matthew. Matthew actually tells us the Jewish leaders went to Pilate and said, we're afraid that Jesus' followers could steal his body because he's talked about being raised from the dead. So he says to them, they say to Pilate, can you station guards in front of the tomb so that no one can come steal his body? And then what Matthew tells us is those guards later get paid off because they abandoned their post And now there's no account for why the body's not there. The end all is, it would have been in the interest of the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders to find Jesus' body and produce it. Because it would have stopped a lot of problems. But they couldn't find the body. So if your question is, is this whole Christian thing and Jesus thing a real thing? The one question you need to ask yourself, if you're not sure about it, is where is the body and why is the tomb empty? Because no one for 2,000 years has been able to answer that question when you actually look at the data around the situation. I believe the best explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. And absolutely, that's not normal. That's why we call it a miracle. Jesus' opponents wanted to kill him, to silence him. But death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. But what is the mission? Of Jesus. The passage from Acts we have today gives us this glimpse. In 36, he says, You knew the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the providence of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. So in this passage, Peter is talking to a Gentile named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman soldier, and he was an officer in the army. He was an important person. But we're also told that he and his family worshipped the God of the Jews, which wasn't a normal thing. But there were certain Gentiles who did this. And one day, Cornelius has a vision, and God tells him to send for this man named Simon Peter. And the next day, Peter has a vision, and then he learns that this person's going to come, and he's supposed to go with him. So Peter goes, and once he meets Cornelius, what he learns is, oh, this is what my vision's about. My vision is about God now rescuing more than just Jewish people from their brokenness and their sin. Instead, it's about all people. But take a look at what uh, we are told that Jesus does with part of his mission. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. So he's coming on God's behalf with God's power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now what this is saying is that whenever Jesus came and started to heal people and do miracles in those stories we read about in the Gospels, what he's actually doing is taking back what Satan had held on to in the world. He's taking it back for the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus came to do. He came to rescue people from the powers of sin, death, and evil. And in the next section, which I don't have up here, but we read earlier, Peter mentions also Jesus' resurrection. Because death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. When Jesus raised from the dead on that first Easter morning, what he was doing was defeating death. He defeated death, and that was central to his mission. But this is the real kicker, and this is what we need to understand today. He didn't defeat death and sin and evil for himself. Look what Peter says in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize, now this is his moment. Oh wait, this isn't just about the Jews, because Cornelius, you had a vision from God. You're a Gentile. This is what it's about. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't just save the Jews. He wants you. He wants all of us. He wants everyone, but there, there is the catch. He talks about fearing him and doing what is right. Now, the way I talk about that is it's about following the way of Jesus. So why do we follow the way of Jesus? Because we fear God and we do what is right 
And following Jesus is the example about how to do that. And also it's about inviting others. Look, this is what he says. He said, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We fear God, we believe in him. He offers us forgiveness of our sins. But then he sends us out into the world to do good, to live the way of Jesus, to bring the kingdom of God to the world, and to point to the work Jesus has done. But remember, why is all this possible? It's all possible because of Jesus. Because death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. Instead, he defeated death and then he offered forgiveness and freedom from death to all those who give their allegiance to him. Death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. He has offered it to everyone, even you. But there's the big question. Are we going to accept what freedom, the freedom that he offers? Are we going to choose to follow him? That's the question we need to ask today. On this day of celebrating the resurrection and what it means, are we going to follow Jesus? On the first Easter morning, that tomb was empty because death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. What was that mission? To come with the power of God as the true king of Israel to reestablish God's reign in the world, to bring heaven back to earth, to do away with all the brokenness and sin and evil in the world that is everywhere and plagues us. And he came because death could not keep Jesus from his mission. Instead, he defeated death, and then he extended an invitation to all of us. He says, through me you can defeat death too. If you'll only follow me, give me your allegiance. And trust that I am the person that I say I am. He says you do that, you get freedom from sin and death. If we consider the words from Isaiah from this morning, we get the true picture. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. What is that shroud? It's the sheet that covers all nations. What's the shroud? What's the sheet? Right here. He will swallow up death forever. And that is the good news of Easter. Death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. Death was defeated on the mountain of the crucifixion, and victory was proclaimed on the morning of Jesus' resurrection. Now this is the question for all of us today. Are we willing to come to the mountain? Are we willing to trust Jesus and follow him?
Are we willing to come to the mountain and sit down at the feast? The invitation is open, but only the way of Jesus leads to the mountain. Death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. Instead, his mission went through death, and it was completed in the resurrection. So here in a couple of minutes, we're going to take communion. Now, what is communion? It's a foreshadow of this meal. The meal that all the followers of Jesus will partake in when he returns. The meal where people will be healed from their brokenness and their bodies are going to be resurrected. They're going to be in the presence of God. and They're going to celebrate in freedom from the brokenness of the world. And communion foreshadows that hope. So when we come to receive communion, we're coming to the mountain, to the feet where God saves us from sin, death, and evil. But when we come to that mountain, we must not forget that the only way to it is along the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the call to live away to the mountain. So maybe some of you have been following Jesus a long time. Maybe some of you, you've fallen away, but you were following once in your life. Maybe for some of you, you're considering taking first steps in the journey. Just know, if you want to start the journey, or if you're coming back to the path after a long time away, I would love to talk to you. And I say that not because I want to find out what you were doing and why you weren't on the path. I just want to talk to you about what it looks like to live the way of Jesus, to find out how I can pray and support you, to hear about things that you might want to ask me about. Because what we're all doing is we're all walking that path together. And some of us are further than others, and our job is to help one another. Some of you are further down the path than me. People in our community are further down the path than me, and I look to those people. But when we come to that table, we're going to the mountain. And the question is, are you going to come to the mountain today and follow Jesus and find freedom from sin, death, and evil? It's only possible because death couldn't keep Jesus from his mission. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we hear these words from these different passages, all converging on the good news that your son has been resurrected from the dead and that he has offered to us freedom from sin and death because of his resurrection and that he's covered any past sin for us in his sacrifice. And he offers us an opportunity to live a life after him. I ask that we would consider that today on Easter. We consider, was that tomb actually empty? If it was, what Jesus said is true. We all know death's coming. The only true way to escape it is to, off, to follow the one true source of life. May you draw us to us to draw us to you today, Heavenly Father. 
We ask this all in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.